Pete Giuliano. It is uh, Saturday, the, what is it, the 18th of July, 2015, and I have to check with you, because you are the authority. This is Sutter Smoke <laughs> number, what is the number? 178. 178, here we are. And uh, speaking of dates and numbers, we have some anniversaries to note. Some of them have been sort of pending for a couple months. I don't know if we've made note of them here on the uh, on the podcast, but we should. We recently passed the one-year anniversary of your arrival on the Solder Smoke podcast. One year. Three cheers for Pete Giuliano. Hip, hip. Hooray. I'm here, I'm here in the mouth there in podcast land. They're all cheering, Pete. Uh, hey, uh, thanks, thanks very much for uh, enlivening the show with your wit and wisdom. And, uh, and, and, and tribal knowledge. That's where this all started. Tribal knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we've been having a lot of fun. I, I know the listeners have been enjoying it. I certainly have. I look forward to doing these things. But when before your arrival, it was more of a kind of an obligation. But now it's like, yeah. Yeah. I went and record a podcast with Pete. So, uh, one year for, for Pete Giuliano. Also, 10 years of BidX this summer. I don't think a big enough deal was made of that. But, the BidX20 design was launched by our friend Farhan about 10 years ago this summer. So 10 years of BidX. It's a remarkable design. About, I mean, several thousand of these rigs have been built around the world. They've inspired many other designs, many other uh, sideband rigs. So three cheers for Farhan and the BidX20. Hip, hip. There we go. Hooray. I can hear him. All right. And then finally, I, I just noticed this. I, I was, I had to check, and I'll explain why in a few minutes. But we are at the, uh, we are approaching the tenth anniversary of the Solder Smoke podcast. Amazing! But our our first podcast was launched on August twenty um, first, two thousand five. I was in London. Mike, of course, was up in uh, in Juneau, Alaska, and our first podcast went out number one on August twenty first. Uh, 2005, so 10 years of solder smoke approaching next month. We'll have to think of a, an appropriate way to mark this event, Pete. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it is momentous. Oh, absolutely. All right, anniversaries, good good stuff. All right, moving right on, the bench report. Now, I think you have to dominate this segment, Pete, because you, unlike me, have actually been building stuff and <laughs> melting solder. And, and, and you have been gently pointing this out to me, uh, not in a gloating way, but in a, in a goading way, like, hey, Bill, why don't you build another transceiver? But I, I was talking to Farhan the other day, and I, I said to him, look, and I think I mentioned this on the podcast, I am surrounded by bidexes. i got three of them here now. Three. I may have the record for bidexes, certainly for scratch-built. Oh, I know you, you probably do because you've got so many transceivers built. But you and I, between us, definitely have the, oh, yeah. the record. The record. But I said, if I build another BIDX, especially if I build it in the same wooden box, people are going to begin to talk. <laughs> They're going to be wondering. He's really lost it. He just, yeah. he just incessantly, he can't stop building BIDXs. Yeah. Yeah. So I've taken a pause on transceiver building, but I know you have not. So I, you've got two rigs to report on. Yeah. I think uh, the Zia and LBS2. Right. Yeah. Over to you, Dr. Giuliano. Well, thank Tell you. Thank you, Bill. And good, good morning from the left coast. And uh, I'm glad to see that this is a little bit later than our last podcast. <laughs> 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 but, uh, you, you know, I want to just comment on the on the BIDX. And, and this this dovetails right in with, the you know, the hobby and, and, and getting so compelled to, to want to build things. 
When I first saw the, the Farhand rig, at that time, the uh, technique I was using, because I didn't have the $250,000 CNC machine, <laughs> was uh, I'd, I'd use a single-sided copper vector board, which works very, very well uh, for RF applications, because you get this wonderful ground plane you can solder to. I saw the Farhand design, and I said, oh, i got to build that, and it was over a weekend, and I realized I was out of copper board. I did not have any single-sided copper vector board. That's a scary yes, situation. Yes, so I said, okay, I'll make it. And so I took a piece of uh, plain phenolic perf board, overlaid it on the top of, uh, of a piece of single-sided copper PC board, drew all the dots in the holes. I had a mini drill press at the time and drilled every one of those holes. Today, I have Farhand to think that I'm partially cross-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drilling so many holes. And you might want to file a workman's comp yeah, claim. Yeah, yeah. I, I said, you must be nuts. But, I mean, I, I got taken by this thing because when I looked at it, I said, this is ingenious. This is amazing. I mean, what, what he has done with such few parts. And, and I just wonder in the 10th anniversary, 10th, 10th year anniversary, how many Bidexes have actually been built worldwide? I mean, thousands. <laughs> Thousands have been built. So. Somewhere along the line, I I heard the number two to three thousand. Oh, and I, I'm not sure what that's. I'm not sure what that's based on. It might be based on the number of people who subscribe to the BidX mailing list or something like that. But if anybody has an estimate, please let us know. Um, send an email to Pete or or to me, and and we'll we'll start thinking about that. We've done similar kind of uh, quantitative studies. For example, on how many Drake two Bs were produced, mm -hmm. but uh, let, let's try to get a good estimate of how many how yeah. many bid axes of all of all stripes and varieties, kits, scratch built, whatever. Yeah, how many bid axes are are out there? And it doesn't have to be a bid X twenty, a bid X for any band, but basically using far hands design. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. But you know, the the point was when I looked at the design, I, I immediately said, well, there's some things I'm not going to do. I didn't want to put 10 megahertz in there. I didn't want to listen to WWV in the IF stage, so I put a 9 megahertz crystal, and I put a VFO stabilizer. Mine had a digital display, and 10 years ago, having a digital display on on a rig was kind of cool, you know. Kind of cool. You <laughs> were one, cool. one of the one of the cool yeah, guys. Yeah, one of the cool guys. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I, I I also the first one I built, I built it, you know, different, and uh, but 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 I was it was good because Farhan in the original article, yeah, for example, when he gets to the VFO, he just says. This is the one we used. Here's why, with the polyvericon and the varactor diodes. But use whatever you want. You know, just build a VFO and put it in there. And I think that's a great approach to take when you're on a project like this, where you're, you you assume that you're dealing with relatively experienced builders, yeah. and because then who can who can say, all right, well, I know what I'm doing here, and they're not just sort of kind of you uh, kind of just blindly reproducing whatever's on the schematic. Yeah. So I think that was a good way to approach yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about what's on my bench. And since our last podcast, uh, actually, I completed the Zia. We, I was talking a little bit the last time, last podcast, about trying to stuff it in a box, and I was successful. <laughs> I did get it. I did get it into a box. I kept. I kept thinking about it. From the Italian perspective, you kept talking about I'm trying to put my Zia in a box. Yeah, yeah. It, sounds like, it sounds like you just killed your yeah, aunt and you're yeah, trying to yeah. get rid of the body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, the the Zia ended up being about uh, two and a half inches high, about six inches wide, eight inches deep, 
And uh, I took my time uh, on this one and built the case Wait, just for Just one it. second. Just one second. We've got to explain. Some people pop in and haven't listened to the previous podcast. Zia is actually uh, Italian for Tia, which is Spanish kind of joke, termination insensitive amplifier. But this is basically a, a, basically a, a bid-ex with, with Tia amps, with termination insensitive amps right. that we've included. But go ahead then. On with the Z. Yeah, so I got that in a box. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the thing that uh, I wanted to comment on, we're at a point now where, where a lot of the technology available to us, you can set a frequency, and it's actually on frequency. And for homebrew gear, that's almost a negative. And here's why. It's a very more positive thing because you can set it accurate in the frequency and you an- answer the, the spectral purity police in 40 meters. Hey, you're not on frequency. But there's something about homebrew and analog VFOs and kind of swishing past the signal <laughs> and trying to figure out exactly <laughs> where zero beat is. You know, and trying to think about what what does this guy really sound yeah, like? Yeah. I don't know whether he has yeah. more bassy voice or more of a squeaky yeah, voice. Yeah, I mean, in the old analog days, you know, you had to you had to fiddle with the dial a little bit. Now you just set the dial, and there it is. You know, it, it's amazing. But I, I was very very encouraged by the the, the termination and sensitive amplifiers. They work really well. And uh, that transceiver is working flawlessly. If you look at my website, um, uh, which is my call sign, www.n6qw.com, there's a link to the Zia. You can see how I built it, the construction, and all the things that I went through. And uh, <clears throat> it, it, it really works very, very well. And uh, I, I'm pleased with the, the results. So if anybody is considering building a transceiver, uh, really look hard at the termination and sensitive amplifiers, and I know Bill, you'll echo those comments because of your, your yeah. build on the on the 40 meter version. Yeah, I think it, you know, and, and the idea for the using the termination and sensitive amplifiers came to us from from Farhan, right. and when I was because I was talking to him when I was doing the BIDX 17, I was trying to figure out what the exact what impedance figures I should use for the uh, the ends of the crystal filter. And, you know, the thing is that in the original BIDX design, as good as it is, those amplifiers are not termination insensitive. So the input impedance or the output impedance depends very big measure on what's on the other end, and it's really hard to precisely nail it down. That doesn't mean that you can't get get it right, and you could do it by experimentation, but it's a lot easier and a lot more kind of reliable and stable if you know that no matter what, at that point, it's going to be 50 ohms. And that's the whole idea. And when I, I must say that my BIDX40, which uses the termination insensitive amps, is, I think, and I think this is a contributing factor, but because of the TIAs, is, uh, it sounds better than the other two BIDXs. I mean, not enormously better, but noticeably better, I think. And so, uh, yeah, and I, I was recently talking to Farhan about it, and he, he was, again, I think he's been building a rig and used, used some termination and sensitive amps, and he was, again, uh, singing their praises. So, so three cheers here for, uh, for Wes Hayward. And Bob Kopsky. And, and Bob Kopsky for bringing us the, yeah. uh, the termination and sensitive amplifier circuits that we're all using. You, you know, there's a subtlety there, Bill, that uh, when you say it sounds better, and, and I agree with you, I think it does sound better. The subtlety is, by, by holding that impedance constant, signals when go through those crystal filters, it can produce this distortion because of, of the fact that you have this varying impedance. When you eliminate that, 
you eliminate one of the causes of distortion within the circuitry. Or oh, and the and the ripple, the yeah. ripple in the path. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. sure. So so there there there's a good reason why it sounds better, and it's it's technical. <laughs> it's technical. And it, and, it'll, and, it, and you know it'll sound. It, you know if it sounds good on receive, it's yeah. more likely to sound good on transmit when you have the termination in sensitive amps. Because if you don't, you could have you could be listening to it and say, "Gosh, this sounds great," and the the pass band's just where I need it, and everything is fine. But then when you throw it over to transmit, then the filter's going the other way. It's facing a different termination situation if you don't have the TIA amps. And the passband could be of a different shape. It could have different ripple. It could even be moved a bit. So, uh, yes, uh, termination insensitive. TIA, ZIA, the way to go. Yeah, ZIA, by the way, was a play on words. ZIA, the Italian for the ant, but ZIA also is impedance. Z is impedance. So I said, okay, let's call it the impedance insensitive amplifier. Amplifier. There you go. Z. It was was a stroke of brilliance, (laughs) linguistic technical brilliance. There we go. Okay, but I'd like to talk about the transceiver I built since the last podcast. (laughs) Another one. (laughs) Another one. (laughs) Another one. And this I call the LBS2. Now, uh, for those people who subscribe to QRP quarterly uh, in the January and April issue, was a project called the Let's Build Something, LBS, and that was uh, co-authored by Ben, KK6FUT, and myself. And uh, <clears throat> this project uh, started out initially with a direct conversion receiver, and then taking all of those circuit elements and using virtually all of them, converted that to a single sideband transceiver for 40 meters. And uh, there's some YouTube videos and the published articles, and there is a, uh, a link on my webpage to the Let's Build Something, so you can see how that was done. And uh, one of the conclusions that Ben and I had, and this goes back to the, the, the comments earlier about uh, Farhan and the BIDX, building it in circuit block modules uh, allows for experimentation. It's a great experimenter's platform. And I've done some things like, um, for instance, tried different crystal filters in there. I ran commercial and homebrew filters of varying frequencies. And the beauty of the SI5351 you go in and change the code, and you're all set to go. You you put it on the same band, but there's a different IF. So, uh, you know, thank, thanks for that technology because that makes it pretty simple to make changes. So I, I asked myself, could it be possible to convert some of the circuit blocks that are in the Let's Build Something project uh, since there are distinct blocks, like there's a microphone amplifier block, an audio amplifier block, uh, the IF amplifier block, uh, the uh, what I use is a bidirectional amplifier that's uh, on receive. It's a receive RF amplifier, and on transmit, it's a free driver stage. Is there a possibility of converting these to surface mount? And uh, so I, I kind of took this to the extreme, and, and I virtually shrunk down the LBS in, into a something that was initially on a two foot by two foot chunk of plywood down into a box that's about two and a quarter inches high, about uh, four inches wide, and seven inches deep. So it really got shrunk. <laughs> it really got shrunk down. But <clears throat> for those contemplating it, and by the way, there, I, I've been convinced to write an article on this. So in a, in a future QRP quarterly, we'll, we'll detail what I went through. But I went ahead and hit some of the highlights. First, you cannot approach surface mount in a casual manner. I mean, 
ugly construction, you attack is their attack that there, solder that there, and boom, it looks like terrible, but it works. Can't do that with surface mount. Surface mount requires a lot of thought. And so before I soldered the first wire, I did a lot of uh, analysis. Noodling. 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 Yes, a noodling. Did a lot of noodling to figure out what was the best way to lay out the circuit elements. And I built it on two boards. Uh, the, the, and the boards are stacked. The upper board is, is essentially got all the low level stages. And the low, lower board has the RF amplifier stages. And because they're stacked and it's on a copper board, the upper board has a built in shield. <laughs> so it's shielded go. from the other stuff. So I mean, these are all the kind of things you think of, but, um, there are some other considerations uh, relative to um, surface mount. And, and I found out kind of the hard way. When I bought a bunch of surface mount resistors, I, I just looked for the best bargain. So I bought some 100-ohm resistors, and I bought some 22-ohm, and I bought, uh, you know, 4.7K. But, but they come in varying sizes. And wattages. Wattages, right? yes. The wattages relate to the size. So like the 1208 size is ones that you can actually see. Those may be like an eighth watt or a fifth watt. You get down. That's, a, that's, an, that's an important factor you, for me, Pete. I, the parts <laughs> that I work with have to be actually visible by you. Yeah, yeah. I, draw the, I draw the line there. Yeah, yeah. No invisible yeah. parts. The, the 408 parts, you almost need a microscope to see, and they're, and they're down less than a tenth of a watt. Well, I had a mix of those, and I found out I get what's called a power drift. Uh, what will happen is you'll get on and start talking, and you'll get so many watts out, and then after a little bit, you see the, the wattage start to shrink because those circuit elements are heating up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> things like in bias circuits and that they they want to see they want to see a half watt resistor, not not a tenth watt resistor. So you know this is something that you discover that you have to really pay attention. Uh, to those kinds of things. It's not just the circuit values is 100 ohms, but it's got to be 100 ohms at least an eighth of watt. I know, and we get we get lulled into complacency on this because most of the time, if you're using a, a quarter watt yeah. resistor, you don't, you know, if that's okay, you just throw it in there. Yeah, but, yeah yes. Getting down a tenth of a watt, it's got to yeah. be kind of scary. Yeah. yeah, so so there's certain things that you need to you need to really look at, and and the other thing too is. Um, I made a mistake in not in my layout by not thinking about this. You, you build this thing really compact, and now you want to do some testing. Where do you put the O-scope probe? <laughs> you know, Cause it, yeah, because it's buried in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, I'm thinking is that in the future, if I uh, do another one of these things, and uh, this I'm fully cross-eyed now. <laughs> you know, I was only partially cross-eyed before. I'm fully cross-eyed. And you're, you're, you're twitching a bit, twitching too, a bit, I know. Yeah. I can see that. So what, what, I, what you should do is take a couple extra pads and, and just put some, you know, solder some wires to those pads, blank pads. That becomes a test point. That's right. So this way you can put your oscope probe somewhere and say, oh, yeah, I can, I, I can actually see the collector voltage. And that would be appropriate to make sure you get collector voltage. And, and then TP one, yeah, TP two, yeah, yeah. So there I mean, these go. are things that you need to, to to think about when you're doing surface mount, and and of course the the wattage, and also uh, wattage <clears throat> on the transistors, the uh, surface mount two and thirty nine oh fours. I bought a bag of these. I, I think I bought a hundred for two bucks. 
I mean, it's two cents a piece. <laughs> you know, that's, that is really cheap for a 2M3904. But there's a problem with that. The surface mount version is only good for 200 milliwatts. Ah. So if you're going to run some juice through that thing, like in a 10 dB gain amplifier, you're probably... Yeah, and it's, and it, yeah. And it's really hard to get that heat sink on top of them. Things, well, there right? is no heat sink. <laughs> there is no heat sink. Trust me, there is no... I'm thinking about those those circular ones with the fins yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really hard. Yeah, so in the stage with the bidirectional amp that, that is doing a little more than 200 milliwatts, I had to use standard leaded parts. So... You know, you can't approach this in a casual manner. Now, if you go to the website again, uh, www.n6qw.com, there's a list of projects, and the very last one says the Let's Build Something Second Generation. Click on that, and you can see the build from the very outset all the way down to the finished box. I'm almost, almost totally finished with it. I've had it on the air. <clears throat> it sounds pretty good. I've gotten some good signal reports on it, but I, I don't recommend anybody build this thing because there's another factor in here. You need that $250,000 CNC machine <laughs> to build that I radio. Can I can see it behind you. I can see it right yeah. there. Well, no, that's the manual one. Oh, oh, <laughs> the, oh the, the, okay. the CNC is next to the screen here. You can't see oh, that. Man. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but let me ask you this. Are, are you going to go back and, like, it changed the wattage on, on the resistors that are going to cause problems? What do you think? Uh, I, I wouldn't do it on this uh, no. be, because it just it's so buried in there that, it, it, you know, I have some components on components. Even though I tried to noodle my way through it, the next one that I would build, I would build a little bit differently. I yeah. would keep the well, small I, size but a little differently from the access standpoint. Well, let me tell you, it turned out it's a beautiful piece of work. I put it up on the blog. People can see it on the, the, the soldersmoke.blogspot.com site. And a number of, of um, blog readers wrote in just commenting on what a beautiful piece of work it is. It's the it color is. display. It's, well, it's got a color display. Yeah. And I love how you, you, you paint the copper clad yeah. black. You know, it really looks cool. Yeah. And I, you know, I've just, uh, black is the new orange. Yeah. The new, black is the new copper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's cool looking in every way. And, but no, but I mean, but, but mostly the, 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 the way that you got everything in there, it looked like there was a tremendous amount of noodling that went in to, just to figure out things like, well, if I put the SMA connector on the SI5351, I have to make sure that it's not sticking out beyond the edge of the cabinet because that's kind of I awkward. had to use right angle. <laughs> I saw that. That was pretty good. It looks like it almost looks like plumbing. Yeah, like you're doing yeah, yeah. RF plumbing yeah. in there. It looked really cool. Yeah. But uh but congratulations on that. Let me ask you this. Where did you first hear about your beloved SI5351? He's thinking. Tom Hall. Ah, okay. AK2B. Okay, so we give him credit. Yeah. He's the one who helped launch the solder smoke branch of the A, of his SI fifty three fifty one. Yeah, home. Yeah, but they're in New York City. Yeah. No. By the way, I wanted to give a uh, this is a tribal knowledge tip. Okay, tribal knowledge tip. A TTT. Yeah, tribal knowledge TQ. tip. Yeah. TQ. Tribal TKT. Tribal right. knowledge tip. TKT. In painting the copper. Uh, usually you'll be handling it, and you got all your finger marks and all that sort of thing. I invested $0.99 cents in, a bo uh, in a bottle of cheap isopropyl alcohol. 
So when you're all done, before you're ready to paint, you take a paper towel, <laughs> soak it in the alcohol, rub it across there, careful not to touch the copper with your hands after you do that, then let it dry, and then spray paint it. And I, and I bought a $1.98 can of flat black paint from Home Depot, spray can. <laughs> so that, that's, what, that's what that paint is. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. But here's another. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say in the in the cover, I came up this. I've always had a problem of building the boxes and come up with a cover. It's a one piece cover, and that is a piece of sheet metal that I paid eighty four cents for at Home Depot. And I just you can bend it up in a vice. So real simple. The other the other thing I heard, and I hadn't seen it, but along those lines, is does Home Depot sell like copper sheet, like a sheet of just copper? I I, I found rolls of uh, you know, copper flashing that I've been using. But if they're just selling just like, like sheets of copper, that would be extremely useful. Uh, where you can buy sheets of copper is uh, find a hobby store that sells K&S metals. K&S yeah. metals. And you can buy sheets of copper. It comes in various thicknesses, but typically the size is like maybe 4 by 10. And it's pretty Not necessarily. Yeah. Is it, is it enough for a cabinet? Uh, is it sturdy enough or not? No, quite? no, I wouldn't do that. You, the sturdy it, stuff, you're going to pay an arm and a leg for. I know, but but, it'd be good, but the thin stuff would be good for shielding inside oh, yeah. the project. Yeah, yeah. yeah that would be good. But, but right. this galvanized metal I'm buying, uh, the smaller sheets are $0.64, cents and, the, and the bigger sheets, matter of fact, here, here I'm going to flash this in front of you. This is an 8 by 10 sheet, yeah. $0.84, yeah. Cents, and you can cut it with Tim Snips, and you can solder to it. Oh man, that was that was what I was going to ask. Yeah, excellent. soldered to excellent. it. Yeah, all right, good. Yeah, beautiful. So, so anyway, look, look, but on on paint, you, you mentioned spray paint. I was going to mention something else. Uh, Chuck Adams, who has uh, made enormous contributions to the home brewing and, and radio art, um, he recommends and he he does he spray paints the uh, the board with uh, the PC board with Krylon spray paint, and. And then he says that when he it actually helps. And then he just when he has to solder, like he has the Manhattan pad laid out. He has all the pads, kind of all the squares there. Then he, before he puts components down, he sprays it with Krylon. And then when he solders, he just solders right through the Krylon. And he says it helps prevent the the solder from spilling out over the edge of a particular pad. And then when you're done, everything because everything has been covered, you avoid the, the dreaded. Yeah, the finger marks and also the oxidation yeah, that takes place yeah. over time because that copper, like the chassis in my Drig 2B, will get pretty pretty funky looking over time. So I thought that was a really interesting idea. I haven't tried it. I don't even have a can of Krylon here, but I've got it. I'm keeping it in mind for future projects. Yeah. Well, Home Depot is a good source of uh, finding some things that can apply, but always look for sales. They were they're getting rid of this flat back paint. Normally it's six dollars a can. I find for dollar ninety seven. I said okay, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, that's a good deal. So uh, so anyway, uh, I finished the Zia, and I I've I've used that quite a bit, and I and I finished the LBS. Now what band what band do you have them on, Pete? They're both on twenty. Okay. Both on twenty meters. Now uh, one of the things that I'm going to try, I've got a five point one eight five megahertz. Uh, crystal filter in there, mainly because I lost my bag of 4.9152, and I didn't know where in the heck I put it. <laughs> so I had a bag of 51985, and I put those, uh, 5185, I put those in there. But I want to try something here, Bill, because, um, and, and I can give a report on this. 
I was most interested in looking at uh, Inrad sells a nine megahertz uh, crystal filter that's parts. There's four crystals in the caps, but but they've all measured the crystals and they they come up with the right caps, etc. It's got a 2.4 kilohertz bandwidth, and this thing will fit in the LBS. I'm going to pull the 5185 out of there and put the 9 in there just to see uh, how that would work. And I'll get a report on that because that, that looks like a good uh, good option uh, for those who want to homebrew something and maybe don't want to try to figure out what they need to do to build a homebrew filter. It's worth the effort to do that. But I just wanted to evaluate it, and it's not. No, I think it's I think it's really cool too, because I mean it, it gives you it adds a little bit more home brewing to the project. Yeah, yeah. That are just like my my Drake uh, my my Bit X40 has that Yesu filter yeah. in there, and I'm feeling I'm feeling vaguely guilty about it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a, it's a little bit Yesu. Yeah. That's kind of scary, you know. Yeah, but it sounds so good, right? Sounds so good. <laughs> I know, but I wish I'd built yeah. it. <laughs> okay, there, there's one more thing on the bench, and I wanna I wanna rant a little bit. Okay, there's one more All thing right. on the bench. I, I have decided to upgrade my antenna situation. All right. Okay, and we need someday to have a podcast just on antennas, because I I've been doing a lot of noodling, and and it's really terribly frustrating. So maybe someone who has gone through this process. Can can you know write into the blog and may, maybe share their their frustration. So, you know, I live in a postage stamp size lot here in Southern California, and, and you know, hundred foot towers <coughs> a little bit of a problem. So, I came up with a a plan to purchase a thirty uh, three foot mast made by Roan. Roan sells this mast, and it comes in like four sections. It's UPS shippable, and if uh, you buy it from the, the distributor. It's free shipping over 100 bucks. It was 149 dollars, and then you have to pay an oversized charge of eight dollars. So 157 bucks. This thing showed up at my door yesterday, and this is where I'm starting to rant. They have all this caution about guying this thing, but there's no, there's no discussion, there's no manual or instructions on how to actually assemble the mast. It's got these four pins, these cotter pins. I don't know where they go. <laughs> I don't know what to do with them. And it has a clamping mechanism. You would think that when you get it at the precise location, they would have a pre-drilled hole that this clamping mechanism would fit in the mold, in the hole so it would hold it so it prevent the mass from sliding down. Then it looks like it's just a friction clamp. So if you crank it up there and you don't crank it up tight enough, someday your mass is going to slip all the way down. <laughs> I mean, it just does not going to be good. It's not going to be good. So... I have a I letter I have a letter off to this the the distributor and say you have this on your website you have all this information about guiding the thing but how about assembling the thing so if anybody has the H950 Roan mast uh, drop us something drop me a, an email let me know what your experience has been to me I'm I'm looking to I'm I'm going to engineer a, a, a real antenna system. And it's going to have a base plate with a clevis assembly, and it's going to have a winch to winch this thing up. So, uh, I mean, it's going to be done right, and it's going to be done safely. But, I mean, basics like how does the mask go together, and how does this clamping go together? And I'm reluctant just to do things without having some clear idea why I'm, what I'm doing, especially something that's going to be mounted in the air, and you don't want it to slip down. So I'm also looking at a two-element beam. 
And then the next subject is rotators, and I know you got the AR-303. And, right. and for the, the the cheapest rotator in America, <laughs> yeah. but but it won't handle the the wind load uh, of what I'm looking to put up there. Uh, you no, have, I think mine. I'm I'm at the cutting. I'm at the the bleeding edge of the yeah. capability. So of this thing. so anyway, I'm looking at, I'm looking at a couple rotators. Uh, there's the AR40, which is the the big brother of that, and then Yesu has one called the G450, and these are about the same price. And the AR40. Will handle three square feet of wind load and the the uh, Yesu ten. So I look up the information on Eham and you get things like don't buy this rotator. <laughs> you know the, the rotator works fine. The control box dies. Uh, so I'm saying, wh- what do you do? And they're you know it's three four hundred bucks and uh, that's that's four times what you paid for that AR three hundred three right? You know the, the, the AR. I must say good things about the AR three hundred three. Because, you know, it's, it looks very similar to the standard TV rotor, rotators that they'll sell it. They used to sell at Radio Shack and other mm-hmm. places. And, and I had bad experience with those because they really are sort of intended to go up on the roof and then maybe turn it once or twice when you decide to watch, you know, Baltimore instead of Washington, D.C. Yeah. But they're not intended for the kind of spinning around that we do, you know, yeah. which is frequent. But this AR-303i that I got from High Gain for 100 bucks, you know, it's great. It's 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 still going. It hasn't changed a bit. It's been up there for for a year. So I'm real real pleased with that. And for a hundred bucks, it was fine. Yeah. And if your antenna's light enough, I think it's great for a hex beam. Great for the Moxon. I mean, my Moxon it only weighs nine pounds. So you yeah. Know, well, this it's, is it's fine. this antenna with the rotator on the mast is going to be about twenty five pounds. Yeah. So yeah. so that may be a little bit a little bit marginal and. Yeah. Um, so I'm uh, I'm look I was looking at something up because that the price certainly is appealed to me. Now does that have a break or does it freewheel on the wind? Um, I think it has a break. It doesn't. You know the wind will sometimes spin it around a little bit. Yeah, and then it'll get it off alignment. But then I just go out and align it again. So I mean, and then the other thing that I found out this is really bait and switch. You look in the catalog for the rotator, and you say, okay, the rotator in a control box is four or 500 bucks. So you say, oh, okay, well, all right, well, things have changed. I can remember buying a CB45 a long, long time ago. I paid on 200 bucks for it, and I thought that was a lot of money. So, I mean, essentially the same rotator is doubled in price, maybe tripled in price. But then you don't get everything. That, that, that What you're getting for the base price assumes you're going to mount it in the tower on a base plate. And so, if you mount it on a mass pole, you got to spend another hundred bucks <laughs> to buy the gizmo <laughs> that bolts on the bottom of the rotator <laughs> and oh, it clamps man. around the mass. And I'm saying, how would you know that? I mean, what do you do to people? How would at you this, know that? How would you know that? At this point, I'd be thinking about the Armstrong rotator. Yeah, yeah. And my, uh, many of our readers, might listeners, might not know what the Armstrong method of antenna rotation is. You just get your strong arm out there. You tie a rope to the appropriate point, and you pull. <laughs> yeah, but but actually, I saw a guy down in uh, in uh, in New Zealand. He came out with an Armstrong method. He got a couple of um, uh, he he got a uh, you know how this cable, big heavy duty cable, comes in one of these uh, wooden drums. He got yeah. one of those wooden drums, mounted it on a on a uh, bearing, and got a small little. Pulley on the on the bottom of the thing, and he just stuck his hand out the window. <laughs> hey, well, that's it. Yeah, and I, I remember it. old, if you look at pictures of old shacks, you'll see that they have near the window 
like a, a bicycle wheel. Yeah, yeah. Right? And they've got ropes tied onto yeah. it. It's like the steering mechanism in the old soapbox. Yeah, you know, yeah. Derby so, day. Uh, yeah, okay. And the guy would reach up there, and he, you know, he had it calibrated, and he'd turn the wheel, and the wheel yeah. would go out to pulleys that would spin the thing around. Yeah. I mean... I'm not recommending that you do that, Pete. But. Well, one of the comments on uh, on one of the rotator evaluations said that the the rotator was fine. It's the control box that keeps crapping out. And uh, so he, he said it's not too much of a problem in the daytime because he can stick his head out the window and he can see where the beam is. <laughs> he, said, he said, that's okay. He said, it's at night <laughs> where he can't see the beam. So, he's got a, he should he should hook up like one of them lasers yeah, up there on yeah, top, you know, yeah. like it, so it points out exactly where yeah. it's going or something yeah. like that. So, or put a put a put a webcam up there, as some people do, and so you could just look and see in which direction you're aimed. <laughs> well, I only bring this up because I think this is symptomatic of of not only this but other products in our bullet hobby, where you go to implement them and. And there's a lack of information, and and you get this, uh, you know, you get this thing that says, well, you know, everybody knows that. Well, I got to tell you, I, I don't. <laughs> there are things yeah. that I don't know, and you and you've know. got a lot of tribal knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is re- this could be really frustrating. I can just imagine this. So anyway, anybody has an experience with the Roan push-up mast, the 33-foot version? The H950, uh, drop me an email. If you go to my website, there's a link on there you can email me. Or you can send it to n6qw at jessystems.com. I'd sure like to hear your experience in that. But anyway, I'm anxious to put the beam because then I really want to operate the Zia and the LBS in a QRP mode. And I, I think we could have our first, uh, you know, Zia to BIDX yeah. transcontinental contact yeah, here. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that. So, well, you know, you've been telling me that I need to melt more solder here and build some more transceivers, and I have been doing nothing. <laughs> it's like it's it's pathetic. When I was trying to think about what we're going to talk about, when on bench report here, about the only thing I could talk about is uh, microphone madness. I you know I got three rigs sitting here, and I decided I should have a dedicated microphone for each one of them. So I reached into the junk box. You know, I've been using the Estatic D104 on all three, and it always gets nice reports. But then I was thinking, well, there's no reason why I can't, you know, get some good microphones going for the other rigs. And I, I, I realized that I had some pretty cool microphones or microphone bits sitting around. I had this um, Turner Plus 2, um, SSB Plus 2 microphone. It's very... CB-ish looking. That's a big 10-4, good buddy. <laughs> now, we're not going to talk bad about the CB-ers, Pete. We don't want to get all tribal here. we got tribal knowledge, but we're not tribal. Many of our listeners had their beginnings in the CB radio service. Yep. All right, we're not going to talk bad about no, those no, days are beyond. Those days are past yep. us, right? Many fine people were once CB-ers, I understand. Um, but anyway, this I thing... I thinking of Burt Reynolds, <laughs> smoking <laughs> the bandit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but anyway, uh, I, I, this thing is, it, it looks, it's got this kind of retro kind of art deco, I, I joked on the blog, it looks like the kind of microphone that you'd expect George Jetson to be talking CB talk with people on other planets in, in, the, in the Jetsons, but um, I've always liked it, and I used it for a while as a kid. The element, of course, is gone, but I, I had some of these little Radio Shack elements in the junk box. I think you sent me a couple. 
And I, uh, you know, they, if you look at the specs on them, yeah, they'll produce AF from, you know, from 3 to 3,000, you know, <laughs> from 300 to 3,000 KCs, 300 to 3,000 hertz, which is what you want. So I just popped one of them into the Turner Plus 2. Yeah, I pulled out little the, the amplifier, the transistorized amplifier there. I kept the, the the pot so I could reduce the output, and that goes into the uh, the Bit X20, and it works just fine. People like the sound of it. But then my other microphone that I really like, and I haven't been a chance to use this, is from a Swan 240. Down in the Dominican Republic many years ago, a good friend of mine, Pericle, H-I-A-P, gave me this old Swan 240 that had really been messed up. It had been hit by lightning. It <laughs> had power surges through the AC supply. Ooh. I took all kinds of parts out of that, and I threw the junk box. This, it's just, actually it's a, one of these Shure hand mics, and it's, but it's got a swan label on it. It's very sturdy looking. It looks like you should, when you grab this thing, you should be you know, telling airplanes where to land or something like that, you know, or ships at sea, what to, you know, what to do. You should be you know, in emergency communication of some sort. It's, it's even got the little clip, so you could you clip it onto the dashboard of the whatever vehicle you're driving or flying or something like that and and that it's a dynamic mic and i, I have that going into the uh the bit x40 and it sounds really good too and I, I just it's kind of a hoot to have these three kind of old mics displayed here so uh, microphone madness not much that's about all i have to report from from my bench i know it, it's it's pathetic and i i hang my head in shame so, so how's what 40 next? meters how's 40 meters oh, going i love 40 meters I, I had talked bad about 40 meters, but 40 meters is a great band, and it's a great band, especially now that sunspots are declining, and I've been having fun on 40. It's not at all as kind of territorial as I first suspected. I had a bad experience there, mostly because my signal was really bad at that time. But now I get on there. I always find a place to call CQ. I call CQ. People answer CQs. Uh, I get into really nice uh, QSOs, the, um, you know, the... Signals are, are, are strong, so it's, it's kind of easy listening. It's a good band for, for rag chewing. But so I, 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 I take back all of the bad things I say about 40 meters, and I've had only occasional encounters with the Spectral Purity Police, the SPP. Tell us about that, Bill. I'll tell you about one, and I don't mean to be too harsh with this guy because he turned out to be a very nice fella. But it was just a case of misunderstanding. But it's kind of a... A telling case of misunderstanding. You know, I, I was really careful with this. I, I really made sure that it that the that it is spectrally pure, that it's not oscillating or or uh, putting out bad signals. I, I was really careful. I listened to it. I got lots and lots of reports. Lots and lots of people tell me that it's really really nice. I watch it on the scope as I'm transmitting. It's it's fine. But this guy comes on, he called, he responds to my CQ, and, you know, I, and I have gotten into the habit of doing CQs at whole number kilohertz integrals. So there I am at, uh, you know, 7.173000, where I'm supposed to <laughs> the correct frequency, Ooh. right? And this guy comes back, and I can just tell that he's, he's off frequency, because there's a significant amount of Donald, Donald Duck in there. So he's off frequency, but I don't make a big deal out of it. But I just say something like, you know, hey, uh, old man, I think you might be, you might have the RIT turned on or something like that. I think you're, you know, a few hundred uh, hertz off, so uh, why don't you come on down, we'll get on the same frequency, it'll be better. Well, he doesn't pay attention to that. He comes back the next time, and the very first thing he says to me is, uh, Bill, I, I got a report, there's some, and he's still Donald Duck talking now. 
I got a report that you're, uh, you got to tell you that your signal sounds really awful. It's su- super distorted. It just, just doesn't even sound like a human. And I, I, I really, th- I know what it is. I, you're getting, you're getting RF back into the microphone. That's, 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 that's what it is. I'm, I'm sure that's it. So I took a deep breath and I realized, I realized what was going on is this poor guy, he really didn't know what an SSB signal sounded like if you were a bit off, which is for me mind blowing because you know you always if you if you're just tuning around you're always getting them you know you, you know what it sounds like when you're tuning through an SSB signal. So I but again I tried to be patient I tried to be nice about it and I said well listen why don't you just try set your transceiver to seven point one seven three and turn off the RIT and let's see what happens. And sure enough, he goes back, and now his voice sounds normal. And then he says, "Oh yeah, it's it's fixed. Whatever you did, it's it's it's, it's perfect now. It's good. It's good. No no signs of distortion. All right, so, all right. But anyway, but he turned out to be a very nice fellow. We had a good uh, a good QSO. But I guess this brings us to the what's next for us, Pete? What are we going to build now? You need, I don't know. I, I've got some ideas. Maybe I'll just mention a couple of them here. I find myself lusting for ladder line. You were talking about antennas. You know, summertime is when you think about antennas. But usually the way the hams work is they think about antennas in the summertime. They do a lot of noodling and planning. And we wait until about February 17th to get out there and actually start building. Or or in the middle of a snowstorm. Well, that's February seventeenth. That's what I'm saying. Not not for you down there in out there in La La Land, but uh, for us out here, you know, on the on the in in the real world, it's uh, February seventeenth is is not a good time. But it's a time we we usually do build the the antennas. But Farhan's got a new blog, and I think it's a it's a great thing. I got a link to it on the on the, the SolderSmokeBlogspot.com page, the VU2 ESE blog. I want everybody to encourage Farhan to continue blogging. He's an extremely busy guy. He's got a lot of irons in the fire. But tell him, we want him to take a few minutes, a few times a week, and share some of his tribal knowledge and insights and projects and put it up on the blog. And it's, He's got four or five really good articles up there. One of them is about a, uh, an antenna tuner that he built and about ladder line that he built to use with it. And I have, I have been a ham all these years. I've never used real ladder line. And now I want to do it. I want to build some homebrew ladder line. I'm looking. I found an old Sprat article where they talked about how to make your own ladder line using, and this was really cool. You and actually this was but by by, uh, by our friend Sieb up there in uh, in Maine, and he used as the spreader the uh, the nylon material that that is used in a weed whacker. You know the weed whacker oh, spins yeah, around yeah. and. It's like a trimmer. Non-American listeners might not understand weed whacker, but it's this little device. It spins around this thick nylon cord, and people use it to trim their yards and their, to make sure the grass is not growing where it's not supposed to be growing, kind of trim on your yard. But anyway, you could buy this nylon replacement cord for the weed whacker at Home Depot, and they say that it's excellent for uh, for making the spreaders on uh, open wire line, and you could use uh, kind of a a heat gun and, uh, and and glue and melt the glue there and it all seals up quite nicely and presto you could make some really nice ladder line so I'm I'm thinking about doing that and I think my next antenna might be kind of a doublet for for like m- multiple bands with ladder line coming down to a little antenna tuner I've already built the antenna tuner but I never really uh, got to use it but I might do it now inspired by by Farhan's blog. 
You know, I've seen all sorts of uh, materials used for the the spreaders, and and Bill, um, I, I guess the thing that I would ask is the, uh, and I saw some research on this is the width uh, of the spreaders. Um, you know, some of the the commercial ladder line, the the you know the brown colored stuff is about oh maybe an inch and a half. But they were saying that the, you know, some the best is achieved with six inches. I know, and it looks a lot cooler yeah, too. Yeah, and and I've seen things like they take a PVC pipe, and they just yeah. cut it and drill holes in it, and then uh, you know lash it. And I also saw one. This guy went and took his wife's hair curlers. <laughs> you know the, the plastic hair curlers. Oh my god! <laughs> and he he said, "Oh, it works perfect." He said the only problem he had. They were pink. Divorce. No, they were pink. And he uh, said when he put up the ladder line, everybody said, "What's that pink stuff?" <laughs> no, no, don't, don't do this. There's so many reasons not to do that. No, because I said in the beginning we were looking for coolness. <laughs> yeah, and you have a whole bunch of hair curlers yeah, going up. Yeah, Come on, yeah, no, yeah. no, whatever no, works. Just, whatever it works. pains. No, it pains me to hear that. We've got to pay attention to appearances but the, here. The article I saw, uh, the, the guy actually built a fixture to build the ladder line. In other words, so that you keep the spacing constant. He yeah. used some. He used a piece of plywood and some, you know, one by ones and that sort of thing that you'd run the material through. And then he had like a slot cut in there so that when you put the spreader, it would hold the spreader perpendicular to the line. You know, so I mean, there has to be some care. I mean, you just don't sit in your backyard with a couple of beers, you know, and just tax on and stuff. <laughs> you got to, got to be, you know, it's got to be constant impedance, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, that sounds like a lot of fun. Why not? Oh, another another summertime project. Hey, listen, I, I felt for some reason during this lull in uh, in in home construction in in transceiver construction, I found myself with time in my hands. I said, "What am I going to do? I got to build something. What am I going to do? What I got to do something." I pulled out the tuna tin two and the herring aid combination. I don't know. I felt I, I occasionally get a burst of enthusiasm for CW and for for QRP and. Well, the tuna tin two. I've met, I, I put it on a piece of board. I put the herring aid uh, receiver on there. I worked on a little bit on the TR arrangement. I put a little side tone in there, and I I started calling CQ on 40 meters, crystal controlled 7040. And you know what? It's not easy. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's man. Well, QRP always presents challenges. Then you throw in the additional challenge of being completely rock bound. You're, you're rock bound. Then you got this DC receiver, which is broad as a barn door, and because it's got the Varactor diodes in there, it drifts around a bit. Yeah. Man, I, I've been spoiled, Pete. I've been spoiled by these beautiful Bidex rigs and the 120-watt CCI amplifier. I mean, I get on 40, I call CQ, and they answer. Yeah. This thing, you, you could be calling CQ for a long time. Yeah. They might even be answering, but you're not. if you don't have the receiver tuned precisely right, you might not hear them, but I did manage to make a few contacts. Cool. Hey, before I forget, one thing I wanted to mention, um, because you said direct conversion receiver, our, our friend Colin, M, M1BUU in the UK. Oh, yes. He, he has a BitX, and he was uh, wondering how, how to get it, the microphone game set correctly. And, and he was wondering if he had a microphone problem. Yeah, yeah, and, and he said he this is the only rig he has, so he was going to have to maybe talk to talk to another hand and get some you know comparative reports. And I suggested to him that he build a direct conversion receiver, 
and for the LO. As a matter of fact, if he used an NE602, if he took one of the crystals that, that's close to the IF frequency and connected that to pins 6 and 7, uh, which then becomes uh, the BFO, he, he could listen to himself. Yeah. And and that might be an l- interesting piece of test gear. So l- let's hear it again for the, the direct conversion receivers. is not only useful as a receiver, but could be a piece of test equipment. Oh, it's uh, just a, having a, just a general coverage receiver yeah. in the shack is a good piece of test gear. <clears throat> I have a little Sony SW something or other yeah. that's like a, like a travel radio that has a BFO in it. Elisa got it for me for, for, for Father's Day a few years ago. And it's, it is a useful piece of test gear. Sometimes when I'm finishing up a transceiver and I want to sound, I want to see what it, it sounds like, I'll take the transceiver, put it into the dummy load. This, uh, this little Sony receiver has an attenuator at the front end too. So I'll put in headphones and I'll, you know, I'll put the headphones in, tune to my own frequency, and it's a real quick initial it, yeah. test. To you'll, see. You'll know. Yeah, I mean, it's a, does it sound vaguely human? Then you know you're on the yep. right track. So, uh, yeah, you need those, those kind of receivers around. That's, that's so, very, so don't, very useful. So don't overlook something that you may have in the shack, and, and Colin emailed us back and said, yeah, you know, I got a, I got the chips in that. He's like, yeah, I can do that. So that might be something. Yeah, that would be good. And, you know, poor Colin, he, you know, he, 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 he's such a dedicated home brewer, yeah. and he, he, want, and he, home-brewed, he even wanted to homebrew his microphone. Yeah. So he has, I think he has one of the same kind of electrode elements that I mentioned earlier in there. But his concern was that he, he was wondering whether he might have damaged it because, you know, those elements require some voltage. And I think he had 12 volts. It might have been a little bit too much. But also the way he had the, you know, the plug, if he had the, the rig energized when he put the plug into the jack, he might have put the 12, 12 volts, volts right into the <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know if he did or not. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But, but he's, he's, suspe- he's suspicious that that might be the problem. It also might be just a problem of setting the proper audio level. Yeah. Because if you don't if you don't have some way, I mean, even even a simple tool like an SWR power meter, one of these right. simple SWR power meters, in this circumstance, can be a useful tool to figure out whether you're hitting the thing too hard with too much audio. And the old rule of thumb is that, you know, if you whistle into it and you can see that you could get, I don't know, say, 10 watts out, right, max, then when you're modulating that same meter should be just tickling up to about five, right? As right. you as you as you speak into it, and if it's if it's not, then you're you're in danger of if it's going beyond that, you're in danger of overdriving and flat topping and splattering and all that stuff. And that's what, uh, you know, yeah, that's that's sort of a way to I guess a, kind of a quick and dirty way to to make sure that you you've got the audio level set just about right. But if you don't have that kind of meter, it can be. It could be hard. Yeah. You, know, you, you wouldn't really, you wouldn't really know. And he said that he was getting some reports of, of distorted audio. And I know from <laughs> experience how Ooh. painful that can be. Um, all right, I've got a few other things. Now we can kind of get into the grab bag, kind of the the potpourri portion of the show here. I've been digitizing my old paper logs. You know that I, for years, I for years I was just jotting down QSOs in notebooks, and I realized that's not really a smart thing to do. It's much better if you have them even in any form of digital form. So I just went and I opened up a Word file, and I started dumping QSOs in there. And I do like a week once a day. I just sit there, and I'll just type them in. And they go in there. And this way, I mean, it's been very useful. Sometimes I'll search for a call sign when I'm talking to some guy, and I'll realize that I talked to him back in 1994 from the Dominican Republic when he was living in a different place. And that's, it's, it's pretty cool. 
But it also is kind of a, a trip down memory lane here, and I start noticing one of the things I noticed that in my paper logs from 15 or year, 15 so or so years ago, I was talking to a lot more homebrew sideband rigs. It's it's not uncommon in the logbook. I mean, I would say maybe you know maybe five percent of the contacts I'll note homebrew rig, homebrew transceiver, right? And also, it may have been result of the fact that I was making mostly European contacts, and it may have been more common over there during that time, especially from Eastern Europe. A lot of guys were still running homebrew rigs that they built in the old days. But the contrast with the current situation here is quite striking because you never, ever see those rigs here. I, I, I keep saying I've been on the air with the BitX now for two and a half, three years, and I've never worked another homebrew phone rig here on and on any of the bands. So... That's quite a contrast. It's, it is kind of interesting. I find it's, it comes back the other way. I'll, I'll talk to someone, and they have a digitized log, and they said, let's see, we talked to you in 2011. You were using uh, homebrew radio at that time, uh, or I should say a homebrew rig at that time. That's and, rigs, <laughs> right. And is it the same one? And I'd say, wait a minute, let me think. <laughs> what was I using in 2011? I said, oh, no, 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 it's, a, it's something different. But uh, they're, they're, you know, this is quite cool. I, and, of course, the thought that went through my mind, though, of course, it would negate the, the trip down memory lane. This is where you hire your daughter at five bucks an hour <laughs> to type in the information. <laughs> say, hey, how would you like to make some money? <laughs> five bucks might not be enough, though. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get those call signs exactly correct. Yeah, or else yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of rock. Hey, um, talking about trips down memory lane, uh, I had a really great conversation last week with Eric, 4Z1UG. Eric runs uh, a podcast, and we don't, we don't talk too much about other podcasts. Sometimes we do, but, but this one I think is a really good one. And I, I recommend it. Eric was kind enough to contact me and, and ask me to come on and, and be interviewed on his podcast. His podcast is called QSO Today, and you can just Google it. I have a link to it on my uh, soldersmoke.blogspot.com page. But we did an interview with Eric, and what he does, it's, it's very, very different from, from what we do here in that every week he has a different um, guest that comes in and talks about uh, his or her experiences in ham radio, how they got started, what they're working on, and it's 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 really nice. And I really enjoyed talking to Eric. He's a he's a great guy, and um, so I think the interview that he and I did will probably come out here in the next couple of days. But I want to recommend the one that I that was my favorite. I listened to a few of his his previous shows, and he did um, an interview with Wayne Burdick of Elecraft. Oh yeah, and it was just fantastic. I mean, it was really Great, and the thing is, Eric four Z one UG hung out with Wayne when they were teenage hams in Southern California many years ago. So they they have this connection, this kind of primordial early ham radio experience connection. So the interview was made even better by that. And when you hear the two of them comparing, you know, tech stories and things they worked on and people they knew. It's it's really something. So go to the checkout QSO today and listen to to Wayne Burdick's interview. I uh, Eric uh, asked me about uh, you know my thoughts about you know what what I would recommend for a, a new ham or a ham coming back to the hobby. Ooh, of course, yes. I plugged home brew, and uh, 
And I and he asked me also if, if there was anything I would do differently when I look back on my ham career. And I, I kind of I thought, gee, I wish I was hanging out with guys like you and Wayne when I was in high yeah. school. I, yeah. I should have done more to seek you kind of seek out sort of kindred spirits. But uh, anyway, Pete, this gives us an opportunity. What's happening with the KX3? Well, listen, I I listened to that interview, and then it, it struck me why we have a KX3. They talked about how Wayne was thinking about it. Yeah. That if he had enough 2N2222s, he would have built it years earlier. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this, this guy is brilliant. And i got to tell you, I, 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 I build radios, and then I listen to the KX3, and I get depressed. <laughs> I get real depressed. I mean, what, what I built in the LBS, that's about the size of the KX3. And the KX3's all bands, got a built-in antenna tuner, all mode, uh, split frequency, you know, all, all these wonderful, wonderful things. And it's just, I, I just sit there and say, how did they do that? I mean, how did they do that? It's one thing to think about something. It's another thing to make it happen. And and I, I just sit there in, in awe. When I listen to the KX3, I get depressed. <laughs> I really do, because... I, I could never, I could never come to that. I mean, I can build radios and and put them on the air and get decent signal reports, but I can't even come close. And I mean, it's just, it's just awesome that what's in that box and and the cost. You know, you think about that cost. You you could easily see that radio have a five thousand dollar price tag on it, but it doesn't because it's 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 all this technology packed into it, and with a few accessories, uh, the KX3 is 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 a full station radio, you know, 100 watts, you know, built-in antenna tuners, all bands, all modes. Uh, I am looking at adding a couple of um, accessories to it, and there's a, an aftermarket. I saw a nice uh, KX3 stand that you can put I it. I saw that. That put, was a put, pretty cool. Put it on because by itself, it's so small, it can get lost on the desk, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, and then I'm also still t- taking away the idea of getting a linear amplifier. So, uh, uh, first I want to get the antenna. And, you know, this is the balance. It's like the guy that had the $12,000 ICOM and he was still using the same chunk of wire in the attic and wondering why he wasn't getting any more contacts. <laughs> so, get the antenna first. And that's what I'm well, working on. Well, listen, I had a conversation with a guy. And he was telling me, oh, man, you should just go out and get the hex beam. Get the hex beam. Put the hex beam up there. Get the hex beam from this guy. And I and I K4, said, wait a second. KI4IO or something like that. Right, right. Yeah. K, K, K4I, something like that. And I said to him, well, look, I said, you know, it, it just, I thought about it. But I, I'm using transceivers that can be built for $5, right? And actually, I haven't spent a lot more than that. The big expense was the $17 wooden box. I said, and it just seems sort of unbalanced to take a $17 transceiver and hook it up to an $800. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I said, there's a, there's a kind of an, an asymmetry there that I, I, I kind of object to. So I'm going to stick with, with the Moxon. But we'll be interested to hear about your antenna projects, Pete. Good luck with that. Yeah. Hey, time for, what's the time for? Shameless Commerce Division. Shameless CD, Commerce Division. Yes. Here we are. All right, uh, we'll get through this kind of quickly. Uh, again, when you think Amazon, think solder smoke. In the upper right-hand corner of the soldersmoke.blogspot.com page, there is a link to Amazon. So if you're thinking about buying something, hopefully something that's really, really big. expensive, yeah, big, complicated, kilobucks, just type whatever it is you want in there, and then because you do the search there, 
when you eventually buy it, everything else will be the same for you. But then when you do buy it, cha-ching, those yeah. guys at Amazon send send us some some money, which we we use for for radio related purposes somehow. By the way, that Yesu rotator is available on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> buy a few. Buy two or three. <laughs> The other thing I want to push is it's summertime. People are heading to the beach. Um, and Lulu, the company that sells our books, is running a 20% off sale this weekend on all print books. I'll put a, a, a kind of a link to the uh, coupon code there. But there's a 20% off sale, so it's a good time to buy Solder Smoke, the books. And uh, I think you'll like them. Solder Smoke, the, the, the book, uh, Global uh, Adventures in Wireless Electronics is there. And then Us and Them, the story of our 10-year sojourn in Europe is there also. I think uh, I think you'll enjoy both of them. Anyway, that concludes this week's Shameless Commerce Division, Pete. We're right, we're, we're kind of we got to go through a few things here still on our yeah. list. I, we were talking about interviews. Be sure to check out the interviews done by our correspondent in Dayton, Bob Crane, W8SX. Every year, Bob's out there and he does great interviews at the four day in May event. And I got them up on the. Uh, on the blog, you can you can link to them, you can download them, and really great interviews this year. George Dobbs was there. George got a couple of really well deserved awards, and and he once again corrected us on the pr- pronunciation of solder. Okay. I'm trying to say that solder. You got to get the L in there. Oh. Solder. Try it. Uh, I I can't. <laughs> no Americans, George Americans, we just can't do no. it. It's, over here, it's solder smoke. We know what it means. We all right, sorry, that's just, you know, two people divided by a common language. Here we are. All right, but anyway, thanks very much to Bob Crane out there for that. Um, I was going to mention, eh, I, don't wanna, I, I did a little bit of work with the CubeSats, and I, I managed to get some, uh, uh, cap, capture some CubeSats using the dongles, but I got stuff on that on the blog. If you're interested, take a look. But there's a, a few videos of note that we need to make note of. Peter Parker that our, our, our man in Melbourne, Melbourne, brilliant, and he's got a series of videos on this double sideband kit that's available in Australia, and you can get it anywhere, but it, it's, uh, it's a really neat little kit, and he does some great reviews on it. So the thing I found most interesting was that Peter found another double sideband rig on the air and then tried to tune it in with the direct conversion receiver in, in the rig that he was reviewing. And if you listen carefully, you can really hear the problems that arise when you try to tune in a double sideband signal on a direct conversion wow. receiver. <laughs> you can hear it. You know, and, and we've been warned about this for many years. I mean, Doug DeMoy in his initial articles on double sideband talked about it. It's, it's in SSDRA, and it's in Solid State Design for the Radio Amateur. Uh, Wes and his co-authors, Doug and Doug DeMoy, warn about it in there. And they describe why it's a problem. It's really interesting. And I wrote up uh, in in when I when I repeated when I reposted Peter's video reviews, I wrote a couple little paragraphs in there about thinking about why this is a problem. And I think it's a very interesting problem. Also, Peter is finally doing something that needed to be done in this hobby for many many years. Pete, you know what he's got? An award. Wow. For oh, double yes, size. Yes. Yes. The 40-40 award. Yes. If you build a beach 40 and then make 40 contacts with it, you win the 40-40 award. 
we've, we've needed this for years. Yeah. Double sideband. Yeah. You know, pe- people have not been paying enough attention to this. Did you moment. get enough contacts when you were down in uh, the Dominican Republic? <laughs> No, I was only 2020. Oh, 2020, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, there you go. I, I did 20 on 20. But, but you know that for many years I have won the, the, oh, the yeah. ARRL. Northern Virginia, six. right? Didn't Northern Virginia double sideband QRP yeah, category. Yeah. Uh, I've got the trophy here. All right. Um, mailbag. Time for the mailbag. We're getting some good mail. I got a nice parts care package from my old friend Jim. I always think of him as AL7RV, but his new call is W8NSA. Never say anything. Anyway, um, he uh, he sent me these parts, and it, it just it, it's it's you know when you when you're dealing with another home brewer, it's it's really interesting because they they have the same kind of parts that you need, and so he got, got some good relays. He sent me these great attenuators, cylindrical attenuators. So now I can attenuate. I've always wanted to, yeah. and, and, that, and they're actually a useful piece of test gear. So thanks very much, Jim, for the for the care package. We'll put it to good use. Those parts will be making their way into rigs. I'm sure transceivers soon. There you go. Um, we got uh, Colin. We mentioned Colin before. Colin went out and built a Mighty Might. Yep. A, a tuna tin Mighty Might. A Mighty Might on a tuna tin. I mean, the radio gods love it. And, and he did something which I sit here always scratching my head about. We tend to think of a round coil form, you know, like a pill bottle. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. It was square. Yeah, square. <laughs> a square coil form on a round tuna tin. Yeah. There you go. I mean, <laughs> that's a square peg in a round hole. <laughs> I think of the feng shui. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, but but it's, it worked fantastic. You see, beautiful. And, and he, I mean. And, it, and then he tested it with the Tech 465 scope. Yeah, I saw that. While wearing... A solder smoke T-shirt. Yeah. Oh my God! It was like I, I saw that. I sat back in my chair and I said, "No wonder he has a beautiful signal coming yeah, to that thing." Yeah. Radio it was really clean. Spot. I mean, I looked at the scope pattern. There was no fuzzies on that. That was a pure sine wave. That was really that was cool. Beautiful. You know, three cheers for Colin. Yeah. Well done. Well done. We got a uh, we got pictures from uh, Dean who built uh, a Tia using surface mount parts. And I just thought it was so cool. You'll see it on the blog. He's got the two TIA amps on one board, and he's got rising vertically from the board another little kind of daughter card that he has the filters for the the crystal filter right in there. So the whole thing comes out. It's like the size of your, your open hand. He's got two TIA amps and the crystal filter with the proper termination transformers on there, too. I called it the tiny TIA. Well done, Dean. Yeah, I think he said it was two, two by... Two and a half inches, something like that, was the size total. Oh, That's small. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, really, really good, and um, it's good, great stuff. And then um, we also got email from Brian KV4ZS, and I got a kick out of this because he said that he was, uh, um, you know, he's been working on a Michigan Mighty Might. He he couldn't finish it because he didn't have the variable capacitor. But I think Steve Silverman's going to help him out with that. But he said that he he woke up in the middle of the night. He was having a dream, and in the dream, in the dream, he walked into the shack, turned on this through the switch, and a beautiful signal came out of the mighty might. But then he he realized it was just a dream. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, you know, this stuff can get to yeah. you. Know, again. And I told him about the nightmares I've had. I've actually had homebrew nightmares where I get so frustrated with the bidex that in a fit of 
of frustration. I take all the parts off the board, <laughs> and then I say, "What have I done?" No. Anyway, uh, good good luck with that, uh, Brian. And then finally, uh, our friend Armand W A one U Q O, who we, we've been to many Hamfests with, a dedicated home brewer. We recently fe- featured a picture of Armand's shack on the uh, on the blog. Uh, he and I were supposed to meet up at the Manassas Ham Fest about a month ago, and I I wimped out. It was too too hot. The shack was too cool and nice, and I had a few projects going. And I said, ah, I'm not going to go. But Armand had a good time. Picked up some good stuff. Picked up an extra copy of Solid State Design for the Radio Amateur. Boy, those, those are worth their weight in gold. I tell you, you know, you could retire. We're, yeah. We have the retirement, the retirement fund of Drake Two Bs and SSDRAs. Yeah. So you know, it's up over 146 percent. You know, I just wanted to share something with you. Yesterday, I had to take the XYL somewhere, and I had to wait for her. And I brought along my solid state design manual and looked up some information. So I mean, this is mine is dog-eared and beat up. I wish I could find another one, but I'll tell you, if you can find one, pay for it. Get it. It's worth its weight and gold. And I'm going to say this again. I actually prefer that over EMFRD because it seems to be a little more practical to me and it's got a lot of good solid information. And if someone's starting out, you don't, you can take that book and use it to start with. Wes doesn't like us to say that, Pete. I know. But I know what you mean, but I, I, I I find myself using both. Yeah. And I, I know exactly what you mean and I've said the same thing myself. But lately, I find myself, I, I, I try to make it a habit to pull them both off the shelf at the same time. How's that for a diplomatic solution? Yeah, well, the SSRD is a smaller book. You can handle it easier. <laughs> They're both great. Yeah. Stuff. No, 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 no question about it. It's just that I guess I grew up with the SS uh, Solid State Design Manual, and it's just something you know you gravitate to because you're more familiar with it. I love it. I've got mine signed by uh, by Wes. Wow. Too, which, which gives it some extra mojo. Yeah. Extra 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 ham spirit in there. Yeah, there you go. What else we got? Are we done. We're we're I think we're at a hundred and one hour, one hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah. That's about that's about the time. Yeah. By by the way, for those of who like to walk, I, I walk every day and, and I have all of the uh, podcasts on my phone. So I, I like to go back and uh, I walk to the podcast. It's a, it's got a good beat, and I laugh at myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty funny. <laughs> On that note, thanks a lot, Pete. Yeah, 7-3 is from the left coast. 7-3 from northern Virginia. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. 
Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!